Yeah. Three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Whoa, hey, yeah. whoa, say what? Hey, whoa, three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Hey, it's going down. Whoa, hey, y'all know what whoa, time it is. Whoa, hey, we ain't whoa, playing with you hey, in the club, hey, in the street. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to No BS Season 3, Episode 1. Brand new beginnings on the network. So excited to be on this episode of No BS Season 3. Isaiah, how are you doing tonight? Trevor, it's so good to begin another season of No BS. This is Season 3 of No BS. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Callan is not going to be with us until September. It's really sad. It's a really big loss. But, hey, we will hold down the fort for him until he uh, he manages to come back onto the MI6 Sports Network. Uh, we actually have, like, a visual on the air that we will be showing from time to time, which is days without Callan. I don't know if Trevor, you're right there. Days without <laughs> Yes, that is one day without our comrade, Callan McClurg. So, Callan, if you're watching, we miss you, man. Uh, go, Good luck out there, man. Go crush it, and we will hold down the fort for you. But very excited for Season 3. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, man, a lot of coaching news, a lot of uh, topics regarding the upcoming NFL playoff games. We've got my Phillies making a move finally for the first time in what it seems like years, and then I can't wait for the Power 5. So let's get this going. Fantastic. We're going to try to keep this up to date as as we progress days without Cal until he comes back to us. I know when I get back into Columbus, Ohio, I'll bring out the whiteboard and put some tally marks on it to just be like, hey, guys, days without Cal on a whiteboard and just erase the number as time progresses. So can't wait to see how many days we get up to and the day that he makes his appearance. If he makes it early, we're going to have to restart from zero and do more days without Callan from the beginning. So if he makes a comment, I don't know if we're going to make the change the rule. Anytime he makes a comment, we kind of restart the day, but we'll just have to wait and see depending on our rules. But I think it's going to be more of that is if he's on the show, that's when we're going to have to restart the count. But we'll have to wait and see and how many days we can go before Callan returns. But Furman, how are you going doing tonight? I'm doing great. Um, it's definitely going to be different without Callan as our first day, um, our first show without him, but I'm glad we have the counter going because there's a lot of topics to cover. And let's see, let's see when Callan comes back as we continue to do more and more no BS episodes every week. All right, that is fantastic, gentlemen. Let's start going into our tonight's segment. We're gonna dive in a little bit of the NFL. So almost sort of like breaking news, but it's not really that Urban Meyer has, you know, decided to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars as the head coach. So this is a lot of really interesting developing for this organization, though it's not the best team for him to, you know, take and grow and build up. There is some key pieces there, but it's not ideally for a new coach rolling in. And people are going to set high expectations for Urban Meyer saying, oh, he has to get into the playoffs. He has to do all these great things and be there first time. For me, I'm going to set low expectations. 
get a wild card seat. I understand they say you got to get to the playoffs or have a winning season or finish eight and eight. You don't have to make the playoffs. Just have a good solid year and start turning some heads. That's all I would say that Urban Meyer has to do. But I want to hear Isaiah's take. What is your take on Urban Meyer being a Jacksonville Jaguars head coach? Well, Trevor, first of all, I want to applaud Urban Meyer for having the courage to jump from college to the NFL after an extremely successful college coaching career. You know, a lot of these college coaches who have had a ton of success in college, they don't have the guts to go to the next level and try it out because, you know, they are so used to having so much success in college that they are afraid that they will go to the NFL and then they will fall flat on their face and they will fail. But I think that Urban Meyer made the right decision because he's already a very, very accomplished head coach and he's already accomplished all that needs to be accomplished in college football. It is time for a new challenge for him. And like Rich Eisen said on his show yesterday, whatever happens in the NFL for Urban Meyer, I really don't think that it will have a bad impact on Urban Meyer's legacy. You know, if he wins, great. It will just make him one of the greatest football coaches of all time. But if he struggles and he stinks it up, you know, nobody's really is going to remember what Urban Meyer did in the NFL. Uh, everybody's just going to be like, fine, he's, he's just a college coach. He's a great college coach. He's not a pro uh, head coach, just like Nick Saban. Nick Saban had lots of success, whether it was at Michigan State or LSU or uh, at Alabama. But when he went to the NFL, he struggled. He was 15 and 17 with the Miami Dolphins jumped right back into Alabama and started winning national championships after national championships. Do anybody remember what Nick Saban did uh, with the Miami Dolphins? Maybe like very rarely do people talk about it, but people don't really bring up what Nick Saban did in the NFL. They just bring up what Nick Saban did uh, in college football. But Trevor, in terms of this higher for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that this is a fantastic hire by the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's a lot of people out there that are saying that Urban Meyer will not work in the NFL and he will probably be out of there in about three years. But I got to disagree with that sentiment. I think that Urban Meyer landing in Jacksonville is a tremendous or landing in Jacksonville for him is a tremendous spot because First of all, he's going to have a guy that many people consider is a once-in-a-generational type talent in Trevor Lawrence coming in to be his quarterback. And that is huge because a lot of these college coaches, one of the things that they struggle with when they jump to the NFL from college is they don't have a great signal caller. And in the NFL, you have to have a good or great quarterback to be able to win games at the next level and urban meyer he has that in trevor lawrence also in addition to the number one pick they've got 11 draft picks that can be building blocks for this football team you all you add that to an already pretty pretty decent core there in jacksonville with james robinson lavishka chenault dj chark on offense and then cj henderson josh allen miles jack anchoring the defense and oh 
By the way, not to mention $100 million in salary cap space, which they can use to further improve their ball club via free agency. As long as Urban Meyer hires a great coaching staff filled with experienced NFL guys and delegates responsibilities to his assistant coaches, I believe that Urban Meyer will have success in the NFL. I love this hire for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I honestly would not be shocked if the Jaguars were to win the AFC South in three years. Because right now, if you look at the division, you got the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts, they've got a great defense, but we do not know what the Colts are going to do at quarterback. Are they going to re-sign Phillip Rivers, or are they going to go back to Jacoby Brissett, or maybe trade for Carson Wentz? Mm -hmm. We have no idea what the Colts are going to do at quarterback. And until we find out what they do, there will be question marks that linger for them at that position. The Texans are in flux. Deshaun Watson and the team are not on speaking terms, and he wants out. Plus, their salary cap is going to be held for the next couple of years, and they don't have draft picks. So I don't see the Texans winning the division or even getting close to winning that division. The Tennessee Titans – I'm not impressed with their defense. Ever since they traded away Jarrell Casey to the Denver Broncos, they have struggled mightily uh, in terms of stopping the run and also uh, the pass when it comes to their defense. Um, I don't. I still do not buy the Ryan Tannehill hype, hype train. I know that he was really good this past season, but hey, look what he did in the playoffs against the Baltimore Ravens. After Baltimore shut down Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill struggled in that football game. I think that if you shut down Derrick Henry and you make Ryan Tannehill have to beat you, I really don't believe he can beat you. And with all the stuff that the Jaguars have, you know, the cap space, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you have also, you know, no, not to mention no state income tax in Florida, which will you know, be able to help them attract a lot of these marquee free agents and the 11 draft picks that they have. I think the Jaguars are well positioned to be contenders in the AFC South in about three years after Urban Meyer installs that culture. Very good, Isaiah. Before I get to Furman, I kind of want to bring up Cal McClurg's comment. He is watching you, Isaiah, so make sure you don't change your picks when we do our pickums tonight, all right? And then I'll continue with some of our comments. Kirstie Wilson said, says it the best. Very few coaches from college are successful in the NFL. You can't be wrong with that because it's not the same system because you're not bringing in, you know, guys around the country with a brand name such as Ohio State, Alabama, LSU in the Power Five. And if you're already a well-named coach, for example, like Urban Meyer, he coached Florida to a national championship game and coach Tim Tebow as a Heisman Trophy winner. So that name will attract young talent. In the NFL, money talks. So at this point in time, it's like you can draft any of the best players, depending where you are, and move up in the draft. But at the end of the day, only players will come where there's either potential chance to win championships or enough money to entice them to come over. And another comment by Kirstie Wilson, I'll definitely read it, is Urban Meyer can be successful in Jacksonville if he's able to get the right players and the right coaching staff to help them be successful. Yeah, that's a basic building blocks of being a successful coach. So I'll go to Furman off of that comment. What do you think about Urban Meyer's destination to Jacksonville? And do you think he's going to be successful or will he crumble and fall apart in the NFL? Um, to be honest, I'm not too sure, given the history of how college head coaches usually translate to the NFL, as we've seen in the last recent years. Um, 
But however, I think Jacksonville has a really good core right now because I think they they've got a pretty good players on their roster right now that can be developed. And plus, they have the number one pick, and Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be drafted for uh, unanimously, you know, with whoever's going to get that number one pick. So right now, Jacksonville's in a good position. They also have good cap space. They a lot of the players that they draft for some reason in the past, they always get rid of them early before contract negotiations. So um, hopefully, Urban Meyer can flip that switch and turn this organization around and really build this team around key players. I don't have too many expectations for Urban Meyer because like I said, a lot of the college head coaches do really well in college football, but like everyone else has mentioned already, it's a different system. It's a completely different workaround when you're in the NFL, when you have to negotiate with a lot of other extracurriculars such as contract talks, monies, um, agents. So a lot of this stuff is going to have a lot of uh, burden on on coaches like Urban Meyer if he wants to transition to the NFL, which is why I don't expect him to have a lot of success within the first few years in the AFC. Although Isaiah did mention that their division right now, they have Houston, they have the Colts, and they have the Tennessee Titans. And I feel like a lot of those teams, except or actually all three of those teams, except the Titans, are in rebuilding phase right now. So any of these teams in that division could emerge, and Urban Meyer can definitely be one of them. However, um, we've seen in the past with previous college head coaches like Nick Saban, he did really well in LSU, won them the national title, but once he went to Miami, it didn't really translate as well as he'd like to. But he just went he went back to Ohio State right after he went to Alabama right after that after he had uh, negotiations, and now Alabama. He's found so much success. So I, I'm kind of predicting a similar type of um, transition for Urban Meyer because I don't know how well his offense especially is going to work in the NFL, even with Trevor Lawrence. And unlike what Isaiah said, I don't think Trevor Lawrence uh, is going to be that one generational type of quarterback coming out of college. You're going to have to really develop him and uh, use use him well as well as well, utilize him with the proper weapons. So it's, that's a lot to consider for Urban Meyer. And in the NFL, if he runs a spread offense, I don't think he'll find too much success. So hopefully he kind of changes things around in his offense and figures another scheme that ties closer closely to the NFL compared to what he did always did in Ohio State. So yeah, to sum it up, um, the, previous, the previous college football head coaches like Nick Saban and Chip Kelly they did not have success in the NFL and vice versa. NFL and college football are two completely different, uh, are they're, they're two completely different systems. So even if you're, even if you succeed in the NFL, like Jim Harbaugh, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll find the same success transitioning to the, another organization like Jim Harbaugh did in Michigan. So it's very interesting to see how this will turn out for Urban Meyer. Yeah. And also for our viewers, make sure you know go to our Facebook page and comment in, and comment in the you know in our comment section as well as look at our Facebook polls and vote if Urban Meyer will be successful in the NFL. Let me read some comments before we sort of transition into our next um, topic for tonight. So Kiersey Wilson said, "Not every coach can be like Jimmy Johnson, a college coach who did succeed in the NFL. 
That's very true because Jimmy Johnson, you know, took that elite cowboy squad to a Super Bowl with Emmett Smith, Emmett Smith and company and took care of business. Casey King says he doesn't see Urban Meyer lasting in the NFL. For, so he's going to give him two years at most, but he, we'll see how it goes. I, it's going to be very interesting at this point. That division is so open in the water. It really dictates on who could possibly be it. Most people would say Titans can win it since they have that strong run game and can dominate the clock. So you could see them winning a lot of their games since they can do really well in clock management. And then you could see Jacksonville maybe making a surge, but it really depends on how the draft and it really goes and what Urban Meyer can pick up in this offseason. Uh, and then obviously our producer, Stephen Wang. Sorry, but I don't see Urban Meyer succeeding in the NFL as much as I respect him in college. Yeah, it's really tough. It's not the same bringing in the top five recruits. And if your program was already hot or just made a quick rebound, you know, you have that brand loyalty as Ohio State. You can easily recruit anybody and say, I'll take you to a national championship within the four years that you're at the university. And most college students will probably believe you if you say that. Isaiah, so you have something. Yeah, um, Trevor, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Number one, what you know, Nick Saban, the reason why he struggled in the NFL as opposed to college football was because Nick Saban – acted like a dictator. It was either his way or the highway uh, for those Miami Dolphins players. Nick Saban, that was how it is for Nick Saban when it came to LSU, Michigan State, Toledo, and now in Alabama. That's how it is in college. You know, coaches can run the program their way or the highway. In the NFL, you cannot do that. It's a player's league. The players dictate whatever is going on. They have their way in the NFL. You know, look at Deshaun Watson. That's why I think Deshaun Watson is ultimately going to get traded because the players have all the power in the NFL. So Urban Meyer, when he uh, if it when he goes to the NFL, when he becomes like when he starts coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars, he cannot have that my way or the highway type of approach because if he does that i guarantee you it will not work and he will be driven out of jacksonville in a couple of years and so the second thing is i think stevens brought up some a point um about you know he he doesn't see that urban meyer is going to work in the nfl uh, he said in one of our in our mi6 uh, host group chat that he doesn't think Urban Meyer is going to work in the NFL because he runs that spread offense. Well, Stephen, I'll tell you this. The spread offense has actually kind of worked in the NFL. You look at Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. They've, they run that spread system, and they've kind of had success uh, running it in the NFL. They put up a lot of points you know, with um, Murray, Hopkins, uh, Kenyon Drake, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald, and those guys. So I don't really think that if Urban Meyer comes in and runs the spread, I don't think that uh, it will really hinder him from success. I just think that what he has to do to be able to have success is just to have a different approach than the my way or the highway type of approach that you see in college football. Yeah, Isaiah, you had some really fantastic takes there. It's it's going to take a lot more effort than it's my way or the highway in the NFL. Just too many moving parts. And you can say college is one dimensional. It's just like, you know, if the school was within the national championship in the college football playoffs within the last, you know, four to five years, you could probably make a campaign push and say, we can reach a national championship again without 
any questions asked and most people wouldn't bat an eye but i know Furman had a couple questions that no not a couple questions but a couple more comments to add on to it so Furman, put your comments out there all right so i have one more concern about urban meyer's decision to jacksonville because you never know because i've he's all he's always had some health issues with him and my my biggest concern is that he's gonna pull a gary kubiak in the nfl within the next two or three years He's done it in Ohio State already, so you can't really have too many guarantees on how long he's going to stay coaching for Jacksonville. Like Just like Gary Kubiak, right after he, after he won the Super Bowl, he had to take a gap year off and before actually heading into the organizations instead of the actual head coaching job. So Urban Myers already has a broadcasting career lined up, so he has a lot of alternatives right now for, for his career. And my biggest concern is his health right now. I hope that he... Um, will continue to stay healthy and will continue to uh, lead this Jacksonville team within the next few years and hopefully win the division one day. Yep, fantastic. Gentlemen, let's move on to our next topic for tonight. So the Jets hired um, Robert Sala as a head coach. For me, the Jets are sh in shambles. Like your goal was to get, you know, Urban Meyer to come in, try to rebuild you guys. But that division is going to be run by Josh Allen for like the next three to five years at this point because Miami is in shambles. They, they can't figure out what quarterback. Bill Belichick is, has a salary cap to make something big and build up another Patriots dynasty, but we have to see what this offseason unfolds and how he does in the draft. And then you just have, you know, the Jets at that point. So it's really, you know, just Josh Allen's to take. But what do you guys think of this? hiring for the Jets and is it the steps in the right direction or are we just going to watch another couple of years where the Jets suck and be like two and 14 or three and 13 for the next few seasons but I'll go to Isaiah what do you think about this well Trevor honestly if you had asked me yesterday when the news broke, I would have said that I love the hire by the New York Jets because I think that Robert Sala is a tremendous head coach. But I'm kind of waffling, Trevor. I'm, I'm waffling on my take. I think that I'm kind of on the fence about this hire because I think that Robert Sala will have a little will have some success with the New York Jets. I like the New York Jets for making this move because when Adam Gase got fired, I said the Jets needed to stop going with the hot defensive mind or the hot offensive play caller. No, they needed a guy that could be a true head coach, a guy that can lead men and a guy that can galvanize the troops. Robert Sala is a guy that can, you know, He's a true head coach. He's a guy that can lead men. He can galvanize the troops. He brings tremendous energy on the sidelines. You saw what he did in San Francisco with his like raw, raw uh, moments that he had on like that, that they showed on TV. But I just don't like him going to the New York Jets. You know, New York is a very, very tough media market for any head coach. You know, especially for a first-time head coach when you're not used to being a head coach. So that's what my biggest worry is for Robert Sala. Um, uh, as far as their offense is concerned, Robert Sala is a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, I I think he's going to do a 
pretty good job with that defense. But the offense, I'm not sure because he's going to bring in Mike LaFleur, who is the current 49ers passing game coordinator, the brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. We don't know how Matt Mike LaFleur is when it comes to designing uh, a game plan calling plays and developing quarterbacks. That's what the Jets need. And we just don't have any evidence to suggest what kind of coach Mike LaFleur really is. So I'm kind of on the fence about it. Um, I I obviously thought that Sala deserved a head coaching job, but I really wish it wasn't New York. I wish it was like Detroit or a market that he could have some struggles with. Because let's face it, he's going to struggle for the first two seasons rebuilding the Jets. And, you know, in New York, they are very, very impatient. So are they going to turn on him uh, in the two years when he's like, let's say he goes 2-14 and 14 his first year, and then the next year he's like 3-13? and 13. You have a one-win improvement. Are they going to turn on him and then fire him and start the process all over again? For Robert Sala's sake, I just don't think going to New York was a good fit for him. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, you make some great points there. And Casey King says that he thinks it's a good hire. He deserves a shot. But, you know, it's really going to be if the front office makes smart decisions for him and gets better players. So that's going to be the bottom line. So I'll go to Furman. What do you think? Is this a good hire for the Jets? Does he deserve this opportunity? Or was it? did the Jets just waste their time and they're tanking for something greater down the line? I think it's a good hire from the Jets because Robert Sala has shown a lot of character when he was with the 49ers. He's a defensive coordinator, but he, you know, he really loves his organization. He really loves his team. You could tell that even the players love to see how he's always ecstatic, ecstatic on the field. Um, He's celebrating with them. He's having fun with them. And at the same time, he's building a really, uh, He's building a really strong culture around the 49ers defense. So if any of this stuff translates to the Jets, I I don't see any too many issues with that because even though the Jets are they made they were two and fourteen this season, they haven't had their best successes. Um it's not impossible to turn any team around. And I feel like for the Jets right now, um obviously their main issue is the offense, and they don't really have anything going there. They're sort of in like this rebuilding mindset. But if Robert Sala is able to continue to work with the front office to add more acquisitions, especially on defense, and just slowly train the players to be more disciplined into his uh, scheme, it, it, I think it will work out. I think the Jets will be more than a decent team moving forward. The only issue with Robert Sala is that He's relatively new, obviously. It's a risky pick um, to be to, for him to become a head coach for the Jets. However, we've seen like a lot of we've seen successes with the New York Jets with defensive-minded coaches. The first one is the most is the most obvious one, Rex Ryan. He brought the Jets to two straight AFC championships and beat out a lot of great teams, including the New England Patriots back then. So. Um, and their offense with Mark Sanchez, like we, you don't even have to talk about it because it was really, it was really bad. It was made up mostly of just the run game, and obviously, but obviously they still had success. Same thing with Todd Bowles under Ryan Fitzpatrick. They didn't make the playoffs that one year, but they went ten and six. 
So this with this culture with the Jets, um, I think historically they've been pretty good defensively. I think that if Robert Sala can uh, decides to um, get get Lafleur's offense and establish that onto the Jets, um, you know, play style, I think it'll, it'll work out really well because he can mix in the run and passes and um, balance out the the clock for his team, especially on defense. Um, but over the years, I think it'll take him time to develop the Jets team as of now because because of where they're in right now. I think it'll, I think within the I think within two to three years, we'll we'll see some good success in the organization, and I think the Jets should definitely give Robert Sala a shot at it. All right, fantastic takes by you and Isaiah for you, you Furman and Isaiah. But let's move on to our next topic, gentlemen. So the next topic is who is the better quarterback to build your team around? Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? For me personally, I know Lamar Jackson has the wheels. He'll get down the field and he's your mobile quarterback. But looking at the last few playoff games, I would put my money on Josh Allen. I've been saying it at the beginning of the year. I'll say it again. I got to keep the same energy. So Josh Allen has been like that complete quarterback this year. He made leaps and bounds. He didn't have his, you know, wild card nightmare where he melts down and loses the game. He literally put the Buffalo Bills on his back to win that game. So high props to him. He's that quarterback that he can throw the ball. He can hit your, you know, wide receivers down the field without a problem. He can hand the ball off well, can run nice, solid play action. He's just a great quarterback all the way around. No any issues. It's just like a great quarterback. But I'll go to Isaiah. Who would you pick as a quarterback to just build your team around? Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Trevor, I will agree with you. I'm going to go with Josh Allen primarily because the NFL is a passing league. Yes, Lamar Jackson probably is the fastest man in the NFL. He might be the most shiftiest in the NFL, but he can't throw the football. I mean, that's the biggest questions that we have with Lamar Jackson when teams put a spy in the middle of the field and you know stack the box and stop that Ravens running game and make Lamar Jackson beat him with his beat them with his arm he can't and whenever teams are up big on the Ravens and the Ravens have to have Lamar you know use his arm to try to get them to come back he can't so Josh Allen he has uh he was a pretty good runner the first couple of years of his NFL career, he was a very shifty runner as well. The first couple of years of his NFL career. But this season, he has really developed as a pocket passer. He has looked good throwing the football. He has a cannon of an arm. Uh, I just think with that great arm, the precision that he has when it comes to passing the football and also his running abilities and the shiftiness of Josh Allen. He's the total package. Give me Josh Allen. I will take Josh Allen to build my football team around all day over Lamar Jackson. Two for Josh <laughs> Allen. Furman, what about you? Who would you go with, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? I'm going to have to agree with all of you guys. I think we need a quarterback that you trust the most in terms of passing. So I'm going to have to go with Josh Allen. It's definitely not the best. There's, uh, it's going to be, it's tough between these two because, because Josh Allen, in my opinion, is a spoiled quarterback. Uh, right now with the Bills, they built a really strong offensive line around him. And they also acquired Stephon Diggs. So like I said, 
he he's a lot more mobile than Jimmy G, but when he has five to six seconds to throw in the pocket, he literally has all the time in the world right now to make the best passes. And I feel like that is the best quarterback to develop if you're able to see him thrive behind a strong offensive line. Even when the offensive line is not is not is breaking down and it's not having its best days, we know that Josh Allen is mobile. And if he can fix his um, throws under pressure to be more accurate or throws on the run to be more accurate, it's definitely going to help him a lot long-term, especially for the Bills. And in contrast, I know Lamar Jackson's a really – you know, a really strong quarterback right now. He ever since he's been the starter for the Ravens, the Ravens' offense has been really, really, you know, they're really, really hot right now. But the biggest issue with Lamar Jackson's offense is what Isaiah said. They rely way too much on the run and Lamar Jackson's feet to get moving, and that's not gonna and that's gonna hurt your team if you can't pass. And Lamar Jackson has shown a lot of struggles with his passing ability in the NFL and. At times, you've seen him throw a lot of, make a lot of bad decisions or a couple of inaccurate throws that would cost them the game. Their offense right now works really well because if they can establish a strong momentum or a strong lead, as well as have, as well as tie it up with really good defensive performances, as you've seen them do right now, it's going to lead to a really good, um, successful ball club. However, like I said before, if Lamar Jackson's down 21 to 0, or if he's down two to three possessions super early, starting from the first half. He's gonna have to be it's everyone's gonna have to, you know, he's gonna have to force to be forced to pass uh, the ball like a lot more often in the second half. And if he's gonna rely on the run to come back while being down two to three possessions, that's just not gonna do it. You're gonna have to rely on your pass more often and that's the, that's where the biggest trust issue is for me, at least for Lamar Jackson. I don't know if I can trust him on that and rely on him and develop him into that type of NFL quarterback for a franchise for a franchise. So we've seen a lot of successes as well with other you know QBs like Michael Vick, um, RG3's rookie season. But like us once again, you can't really rely hundred percent on your legs. You got to be able to thread the needle um, in times where you really need to. And my other, my last concern for Lamar Jackson is if he gets older and he, he's still running this type of power run, off power run offense, it's a really huge risk for him because he might get hurt in one of these plays. And it's very likely that he'll, I, in my opinion, that he'll get hurt um, more often than a passing quarterback that's within the pocket. Yeah, I couldn't say well enough. Like he's putting himself in that risk, just running the ball up and down the field. Versus if you're a pocket passer, the only injury you're going to really suffer is, you know, getting sacked. And we, we've seen what happens when a quarterback gets sacked. Some of those injury, injuries are pretty bad, but just imagine if they were running and getting smacked with a, against a linebacker. So it could be, you know, 10 times worse than what a you know, typical sack would be. But let me go to some of our comments and see what our viewers would pick. So Kirstie Wilson's going to go with Josh Allen. And Casey King is going to go with Josh Allen as well. So it seems like a Josh Allen bandwagon for here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll keep you up to date on what's going to go on. So let's go into, you know, our next seg segment is, you know, the QBs, besides the QB factors for the Saints and Bucks game, you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. The question is, what's the biggest X factor in that game? Besides the quarterback position, I'm going to have to go with the Saints running back, Alvin Kamar. 
He's been phenomenal this season, though last game he had COVID and couldn't really play in it. If he's able to come back and be full strength, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to watch literally like a dual threat with Michael Thomas running over top and then Alvin Kamara running up the middle. So if he's not able to play in this game, it's now makes the Saints almost one dimensional, makes it a lot more interesting. But if he's able to play in this game, it's a wrap and then the Saints will take it. Before I go to you, Isaiah, we have a lovely message for you. Callum Clerk says he is watching you. You better not change your pick for the Tampa Bay and Saints game. So, Isaiah, what do you have to say for yourself, and what do you think is the X factor in this game? Well, we're not – don't worry. We are not picking the games now. We're saving that for the pick skin, pick them segment that is going to be happening later on in the show. But, Trevor Furman, I got to go with Carlton Davis. Carlton Davis, the cornerback – for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and also Sean Murphy Bunting, who is also another cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those two guys are going to be the number one and number two corners of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday against Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Those two guys did not play well last week against the Washington football team. I know that Sean Murphy Bunting had that one interception against Taylor Heineke, but... Last week, when I watched the Buccaneers' defense play against the Washington football team, when Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles kept dialing up the blitz, but when the blitz wasn't coming home against Tyler he or Taylor Heineke, Taylor Heineke was torching those Buccaneers' secondaries. He was torching their linebackers. I mean, every time you would see, like, either one or two or three Washington football team wide receivers or tight ends wide open, it was an embarrassment. They got to fix that because I've been saying this for, for, like, the entire week. If you play like that against Tyler or Taylor Heineke, you could get, a, you could get away with it. But if you play like that against Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, they're going to torch you and put a 50 on you. So that secondary, the linebackers for Tampa Bay, they got to get their act together if they want to win this game on Sunday and advance to the next round. Carlton Davis, he's uh, going to be going up against Michael Thomas in week one. He held Michael Thomas to a career low, 17 yards receiving on three receptions. He's got a replicate the same performance that he had in week one on Sunday. Sean Murphy Bunting will be going up against, I believe, Emmanuel Sanders. He's got to do the same thing. And also, one more X factor. I know, Trevor, you said only one, but I got three for you. Levante, David, and David, Devin White. Those linebackers, y'all better, y'all better have uh, Alvin Kamara covered out of the backfield because if those wide, if those cornerbacks are doing a good job against those wide receivers for the New Orleans Saints, but Alvin Kamara is able to leak out of the backfield and catch like uh, screen passes from Drew Brees, you are it's good. You guys are going to be in for a very very long night. Uh, those are my X factors for Tampa Bay if they want to win that game. All right, Furman, what about you? What are your X factors in this game? I feel like you're going to have like a, lit, a long list like Isaiah. So lay it on us if you have a long list. Well, actually, it's really similar to what Isaiah had just said. So first off, I'm going to have to start with Alvin Kamara. Um, if you guys haven't realized, the Saints literally ran the, they literally ran the Matt Nagy offense back in 2018. 
Remember that year when Tariq Cohen had the most receiving yards for the Bears? Well, this year they did not have Michael Thomas healthy, so Alvin Kamara actually had the most receiving yards for the Saints. So if you want to stop the Saints offense, you're going to have to stop, stop Alvin Kamara as well. He, he's a dual threat right now, and it's really, really scary you know, to see how he's been utilized with the Saints offense. I know you guys keep talking about Drew Brees and Tom Brady as being the huge um, you know, X factors in, in play, but it's actually Alvin Kamara. Drew Brees, in my opinion, yes, he did get hurt as well. And however, he didn't really contribute too much to this offense. It was mostly just strictly Alvin Kamara this season. However, Michael Thomas just came back um, healthy this season, and now he is going to be a huge concern for the Tampa Bay Bucks because the New Orleans Saints blew out the Bucks. 38 to 3 their second game. And even in their first game, they the Tampa Bay defense just had no answer for this team. So there's gonna be a whole lot of issues I could already foresee for the, the Tampa Bay Bucks. And if you're gonna have Kamara back, Michael Thomas back, and Emmanuel Sanders on the wideouts, it's gonna be a field day. I think there's gonna be a lot of trouble for Tampa Bay because they haven't faced this type of team yet. They face they face the Matt Nagy version of the Saints, and they still got blown out in one of those games. So my that turns my attention once again to what Isaiah had mentioned before: Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting from the Bucks. They need to step it up against these wideouts, and they have to they have to outperform uh, Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas on these one-on-one -on -one routes because even slant routes, obviously, because Drew Brees, he's a really good quarterback. It's going to be a very difficult. Um, for especially Tampa Bay's offense to find their, their rhythm early if your defense isn't going to give them the opportunities to do so. All right, guys, that is a perfect way to end our NFL segment. Now let's transition into the game of basketball. We all know what happened recently. James Harden has been added to the Brooklyn Nets. Some say, people say this is going to become a super team, but this is more like a, a reality TV show with drama with Kyrie Irving not really playing for this organization. Kevin Durant is really leading this team. And now you have James Harden, who's not really in the best of shape. So it's really going to be interesting. Is this like the first ever super team that is not going to actually be a successful super team to be an NBA championship contender if they don't pull their acts together? Obviously, if they pull their acts together, yes, they're going to be a team that can contend. But if they don't, it's going to be like a super team that became a bust. And I don't know when the last time we had a super team that became a bust. But I'll go to Isaiah. What do you think about this becoming a super team that turns into a bust? I hope my guy Callum McClurg is not watching because, you know, he said, don't change your picks, Isaiah. But he never mentioned anything about don't change your take. So I'm going to go ahead and change my take. And that is... <laughs> I knew that was going to make you laugh, Trevor. No, but why are you that is, if the Brooklyn Nets, if the Brooklyn Nets can get their act together, if Kyrie can snap out of whatever he's going through right now, and if they can come together and find their chemistry, that's very important. If they can find their chemistry, yes, the, the Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference because right now you got three superstars. You got Kevin Durant. Uh, you got James Harden, and you've got Kyrie Irving, who when he is 
when he is right, when Kyrie Irving is right, Kyrie Irving is one of the best point guards in the NBA. But if they can find their chemistry, I believe that the new the Brooklyn Nets. Damn, I almost called them the New Jersey Nets. But the Brooklyn Nets are the best team to beat in the Eastern Conference. You look at all the teams right now in the East. Boston, I am. I haven't been a believer in the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker trio. I don't think that you can be win with that uh, with that trio. They don't have a big in the middle that can that can stop DeAndre Jordan. Like, let's not forget, guys. DeAndre Jordan, when he was not with the Clippers, but with the Mavericks and with the Knicks, he was pretty. He was still a pretty decent center. So I expect that DeAndre Jordan with uh, a lot of the defensive attention being on Kyrie Irving, on Kevin Durant, on James Harden. I think DeAndre Jordan is going to have a lot of opportunities to go back to being the DeAndre Jordan with the Los Angeles Clippers, being that beast of a center that he was. Um, and then you look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Giannis, Drew, uh, Drew Holiday. Um, I'm not going to buy into Milwaukee until they show me that they can win in the postseason uh, because they always choke in the playoffs. You know, a couple of years ago, they choked to the Raptors despite having a 2-0 lead in that series. And then last season with that stunning upset to the Miami Heat. I think right now it's only between Miami and Brooklyn. And I got to give the upper hand to Brooklyn because of their three superstars. I just don't know how Miami will be able to guard James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving on the same team. But this is only if they can get their chemistry together. If not, then all bets are off for the Brooklyn Nets. Isaiah, there is too many ifs for this to become a reality. It's like you betting in Vegas and you're going against Vegas. That's basically what it is. But it'd be like the Isaiah jinx where something happens and you don't work. So it's like you're betting. You're, you probably would bet with Vegas and Vegas would lose because of it. But the jinx would, you know, prevent you from actually winning. So it's really going to be interesting what happens. But let me read some of our comments before I give you that question, though. All right. So Kirsty Wilson says, the Nets are becoming a soap opera. Yes, this is a reality TV show at its finest right now. So stay tuned every week to see what happens for that organization. And then she said the best. He's changing his stance, Callan. He's changing his stance. <laughs> but and, and then, you know, Casey King says he thinks the Nets are in trouble right now. And uh, he still thinks the Bucks, Celtics, and, and maybe the Heat if they are going to be the team to be in the East, I guarantee you the three teams that, you know, Casey lists are definitely the teams that are probably going to be dominating the East and they are the teams to beat to get to the NBA championship. But I know you had a comment to add on Isaiah. So what is your comment? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, listen, I, I think Brooklyn can come out of the East, but do I think that they can beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals? No way. Because like I said earlier, there is no one that's going to be able to stop Anthony Davis. Yes, you have all these stars on the perimeter with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. But Anthony Davis is going to have a field day and feast every time he faces the Brooklyn Nets. Because I don't trust DeAndre Jordan to stop uh, Anthony Davis, Jared Allen, who was a pretty decent defensive center. He's now on his way to Cleveland. So you don't have a guy that can keep Anthony Davis in check. I think Brooklyn can come out of the East, but no way are they beating the Lakers. Give me the Lakers in five. 
All right. And Furman, what about you? Are the Nets the team to beat in the East, or will the dramas prevent them from being this great team and winning an NBA championship? Yeah, so I agree with what Isaiah said about the Nets because this is a really this is a really stacked team, and I feel like the Nets are really are really strong this year if they have all three players healthy, if they have Kyrie, KD, and James Harden playing at the same time. It's it's definitely a, a really you know it's a really scary team to play against. I think that's gonna definitely help them dominate the East if all three of these guys play together. Um, they also, they're also missing Spencer Dinwiddie, who I have, I'm actually really surprised he didn't, he wasn't part of the four, four team deals during the trade. Um, if he's healthy and comes back next season with this roster, the Nets are going to be really, really strong. And so my biggest concern, obviously is the team chemistry. Um, KD, I feel like he, whichever team he goes to, he's always an asset. But James Harden and Kyrie, they always love to get the ball. They have their, you know, they have a really condescending attitude. Obviously, Kyrie wants to be the superstar of whatever team he plays for. James Harden, same thing, really similar. He wants to basically get the ball as much as he can, and um, he thrives in these ISO possessions, and that's not usually how teams play. So they have to figure something out um, together as a trio. But if they do, it's definitely going to be a very scary team to play against. I know Christie said that the Bucks, Celtics, and the Heat are, you know, the super teams right now in the East. However, I think if you have better shooters, you're going to definitely have a better team. So the Nets, I think they're going to, if all three players figure something out together, if this big three um, gets themselves together, it's I'm pretty sure they're going to have an easy road against the Bucks because Giannis was one for ten in free throws tonight. And that's not going to help you in the playoffs. Celtics, I have to agree with Isaiah. I'm not buying into their um, their trio right now. I don't think I, th- I think they're at their peak right now. So if they can't make it to the NBA Finals at their peak, it's not. I don't think they're going to get any better. The Heat, I kind of do think um, it's going to be a very tough competition for the Nets. So I'm going to move on to the final uh, issue with the Nets. Obviously, it's with Kyrie. I don't know what's with Kyrie, but wherever team he goes to, he always seems to have problems with either the teammates himself, and it's just and he's just hurting the team chemistry as well as the season for that team, whichever team he plays for. He's always been injury prone, or he has some weird, you know, issues with you know a teammate like LeBron, or he just you know mysteriously disappears from games like this season. Uh, I really don't know what's going on with Kyrie right now. But if you have James Harden and Kevin Durant on the Nets right now, you cannot threaten to boycott the season or what with whatever you're going through. You know, I hope that whatever you are going through right now, mentally or with family, any issues you have, I hope that you know you'll get better from it. I hope that it doesn't affect you too much. Um, you know, well-being is obviously your biggest, my biggest concern for you. But you still have to act professional. You know, around the league. You have to let others know how you're feeling, you know, how you're dealing with, you know, your yourself mentally and when you, you're expected to be to come back stronger, because this is a lot of the NBA is a, is a long process. And, you know, even if it's 72 games, there's a lot you're, that you're missing out on right now. And the Nets need you ASAP. So, you know, I, I hope Kyrie comes back uh, somehow this season, because 
even with Harden and KD right now, I don't think the Nets are going to do well without Kyrie. It'd be interesting if like Brooklyn decided to go the on the extreme end and trade away Kyrie Irving and bring Russell Wilson to bring back OKC and they wouldn't try to make a push to win a ring. That would be one of the most interesting stories of 2021 if that ever happened. Bring the old squad back from OKC and they face LeBron as you know older men in this story arc. And if they can beat them, if he can beat LeBron, you know. I think it's a nice way to end out on their saga as being coming almost like their historical, you know, Hall of Fame arc where at the beginning they, they lose to LeBron being young and now they're able to be an old age LeBron at this point. So it's almost like watching the Avengers unfold if they get back together at that point. But I know we have one comment in that's new. That is East Coast Gridiron Podcast. He says, what's up? Hope you're doing good, East Coast, and, you know, staying fresh during this 2021 so far. And he also has a comment. A lot of shot clock violations have happened on the, with the Nets. You know, things have been happening to them, but we'll have to see what happens as the season progress. But now we'll go on to the MLB segment. Isaiah, I'll let you take it away. Sorry about that, Trevor. I was muted for a bit. But um, so for our MLB topic that we're going to get into today is the news that trickled in yesterday that the Philadelphia Phillies have signed reliever Archie Bradley to a one-year $6 million contract. Listen, I'm a huge Phillies fan, and I love this move for the Philadelphia Phillies because last year the Philadelphia Phillies, they had – 13 blown saves. Their bullpen had a 7 ERA. Their bullpen was a, was a uh, just a giant mess all around. Uh, from the sixth inning on, you didn't really know uh, anybody that Joe Girardi got to come in. You didn't really know who was capable of shutting it all down. I mean, everybody that came in gave me a heart attack uh, anytime I watched the Philadelphia Phillies. So with Archie Bradley, I like the signing for the Phillies because it's one year, $6 million. Um, It's not that much money for Archie Bradley. And Archie Bradley, uh, the last couple of years, he's been a pretty good reliever. You know, last year he was with the, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Archie Bradley had a 1.17 ERA. That's pretty good, especially in that ballpark. I mean, uh, that's probably one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in all of baseball. Uh the year prior with the Arizona Diamondbacks, he had a 3.52 ERA. And then in 2018, he had a 3.64 ERA. But this guy's got a power fastball. He throws really hard. He throws from 94 to 98. He's got, uh, you know, filthy off-speed stuff as well. And I, I think that he's going to be able to – you know, do really well in Philadelphia. I don't think he's going to be the closer for the Phillies. I think the Phillies still have to go out and get either maybe Brad Hand or an Alex Colomay to be their closer. But Brad, uh, Bradley in the eighth inning, hey, I am totally down for that any day of the week. I think that he would be a perfect fit in the eighth inning, which would move Hector Neris to the seventh inning, which I think uh, is a role appropriate for him. But Good move by the Phillies. Glad to see that Dave Dombrowski and the Phillies are actually doing something for once. And hopefully, you know, there was rumors coming out of Philadelphia today that they did offer JT Real Muto a five-year, hundred-plus-million-dollar contract. Hopefully they uh, can get something done with him because he's one of the best catchers in all of baseball. And the Phillies, they need JT Real Muto on that ball club. All right. All right. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing MLB topics with us tonight. But now let's move on to our pigskin pickums. Yep, now we're down to the final four matchups in the NFL. And let's start off tonight off with the Ravens and Bills game. Who do you guys have? And I can say a brief statement. Why do you have them? For me, I'll do with the Bills. I said it last night on, not last night, well, two nights ago on Wild Sports Talk, Buffalo Bills, I said at the beginning of the season, AFC championship game, and they will lose. And that's why I'm picking the Bills in this game. Isaiah. Well, on, I believe it was Wednesday, I picked the Baltimore Ravens to win that football game uh, because I saw the weather, you know, it's, it's going to be heavy snow. And normally when you play in a snow game, what you have to do to win a snow game is you have to be able to run the football effectively. Plus, you have to be able to play great defense. And the Ravens are known for running the football really well with Lamar Jackson, with J.K. Dobbins, with Ingram, and also they have a great defense. Buffalo doesn't really have a great defense. Uh, the Bills' defense, I think this year, was ranked number 16th in all of uh, NFL when it came to points allowed, yards allowed per game, and ex stuff like that. But, Trevor, after a couple of days of deliberating and waffling on this, Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game. I I, I can't trust Lamar. Wait, wait, didn't you say Ravens last time? What? Did you say Ravens last time? I think I said Ravens last time, but I got to pick the Bills. Why, why are you changing your picks? Cowboys I can't trust right Lamar Jackson. I really can't trust Lamar Jackson. I know that Josh Allen... He's a dependable, reliable quarterback. He's got a strong arm, which will work in that weather, in the snow. He's also very shifty. He's very athletic. He's a good run, running quarterback. The Bills, Devin Singletary, hey, he was a pretty good running back before he got injured this season. The Bills with digs and all those receiving weapons that they've got. Their defense might not be the best defense in the world, but I think that Josh Allen – what he's done this year, he's been so great. I think Josh Allen will be able to, you know, do good against this Baltimore defense in the snow. Give me Buffalo to win it. Um, I'm going to pick Buffalo 24 to 21. Furman, what about you? I think this is going to be a very close game because both offenses are really good. Um, I don't trust Lamar as much, just like Isaiah said, but I still think he's going to have a really good He's going to have a field day against Buffalo, in my opinion. Um, Josh Allen's also great. He's got a cannon arm. He's got a loaded offensive line who gives him so much time to throw the ball. But I know that Baltimore likes to blitz, so it's very interesting to find out how they're going to counter the Baltimore's pass rush because that's going to be a really uh, big concern for me watching um, the Bills play. Baltimore does have a great defense, but – if Josh Allen's able to diagnose these wideouts like he's been doing the whole season and just make these quick, you know, cannon arm throws to the receivers at the right spots, it's going to be very difficult for Ravens to catch up to their offense. I think both sides are going to have their own momentum swings throughout the game. So I believe that this game is going to be a shootout, in my opinion. I know that in the last, I know that last week against the Colts, I predicted that it was not going to be a shootout, and I was right. But this week, I do believe this is going to be a shootout, but I have the Bills winning this 45 to 35. 
Alrighty, and some picks from our viewers. Kiersey's going to go with the Bills, and Casey King is going to go with the Bills over the Ravens. Good picks by everyone here tonight. Let's move on to our next game. Our next game, we have Browns Chiefs. People are going to lean with the Bills, not the Bills, the Chiefs on this game. Because, you know, the Chiefs are the Super Bowl winning champs. They're going to try to defend their title. It's going to be a physical game from start to finish. But you could see the Chiefs come out a little flat since they're, you know, coming off of the bye and they're now trying to prepare against the Browns. The Browns are probably fired up since they just shocked the Steelers. So they have a lot of ego and a lot of swagger with them. But I think Patrick Mahomes will try to find a way to pull this game out. So that's why I'm going to go with the Chiefs in this one. Isaiah. Give me the Chiefs in this game because I just think that they have more weapons on offense than the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, you know, Baker, uh, even though Baker had that good performance last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm still unsure about Baker Mayfield. I'm not sure if, you know, he can put a team on his back and really carry a team, but I don't think he will have to this week because um, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. I think Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are going to have a field day. But I just think that the defense will not be able to contain Patrick Mahomes just like they did last week with Big Ben Roethlisberger. I don't think that they will be able to get the lucky breaks that they got last week. Give me the Chiefs to beat the Browns. I think it's going to be a close game, though. I got Kansas City winning this game 31-27. to all right, and Furman, your pick. So this is a really good, really good matchup because I'm really, I'm really proud for the Brown of the Browns of what they've been able to accomplish this season, and I was really happy for them um, with the way they played against the Steelers in the playoffs. They just went straight to scoring 28 points in the first quarter, really fast. But that's also one of my concerns for this team because. I felt like a lot of the, the momentum from that game was won because of the turnovers from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Ben Roethlisberger, he's known to have one of these crazy games where he just you know, doesn't have anything going and he just throws the game away. And Roethlisberger's second half to the season against Pittsburgh was pretty much the same story. And I kind of foreshadowed everything that was, or yeah, foreshadowed everything that was going to happen in that matchup. And I had a feeling Roethlisberger was just not going to have any offensive chemistry. And the Browns just scored off of turnovers. But in reality, can Baker really do it all by himself? In my opinion, I don't think so. I know a lot of people are like, wow, Baker turned this franchise around. Now they're 11-5 and five and they have a successful ball club. But I think the main reason why they're succeeding right now is because of their run game with Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb. So... Baker, I can rely on him making game managing throws, but if he's really have to, you know, if he really has to get on the field and administer these comeback drives, I've seen him throw a lot of inaccurate passes that were really easy throws. So, and I'm also concerned about his footwork. If any of those factor in into this game, which I believe it will, because Kansas City is a really high powered offense with Patrick Mahomes. Baker Mayfield has to come back late in the fourth quarter in order to make this one close. And I don't think he has the capacity to do it. I think Kansas City is going to start out clicking fast and strong. 
in the second quarter, not the first, the second quarter. That's where Kansas City has their momentums usually. And and Baker Mayfield, you know, you can't just run the ball all the time. You're gonna have to pass a lot in order to catch up with this offense. So I'm gonna have to give this one to Kansas City 31 to 20. All right, good picks and some picks from our from our viewers tonight. We have Kirsty Wilson going with the Kansas City Chiefs. Casey King is going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs pulling away in the second half to beat the Browns. You have James Gonzalez going with the Browns. So he wants the Browns to win, ladies and gentlemen. And Callum McClurk has made a fantastic comic. He is watching you, Isaiah. But that pick is the last pick of the night, though. So we'll have to you know, wait and see what you say. I thought we wait. I got the, I thought we got two more. Yeah, we got two more. I said it's the last pick. Oh, okay. The Bucks game. That's the game he's talking about. Thank goodness he didn't cha- he didn't see the Bills Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our second to last pick tonight, gentlemen. We have the Rams and Packers. I'm going with the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers. You know, Hall of Fame season. He's going to try to push his way through and try to get himself a second Lombardi trophy. It's probably going to be against Patrick Mahomes, but we have to wait and see. He's oh no, Callan has broken into the chat. He says, Don't make me join the stream yard. Don't join, Callan. You're going to mess up the counter if you join. Don't, please don't join. <laughs> but Isaiah, what is, what is your pick? Man, if I if I'm really gonna stick to the same script that I had last or on Wednesday, I'm gonna look like a total idiot for this. But you know what? I'll do it. Whatever. Give me the Rams to pull off the upset over the Green Bay Packers. I haven't believed in the Green Bay Packers all year long. I thought they were frauds uh, from beginning of the season until now. They their defense is awful. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he has a he's great with Devonte Adams and the rest of the gang on offense. But I just think the Rams, if they can run what the 49ers did um, in the NFC Championship, I think they will be able to win this football game. Just got to follow the same recipe that the Niners provided you with last season, which is running the football, running the football effectively, running the football heavily. Jared Goff, do not make any mistakes in the defense. Play your butts off because if you can run the football effective, like if you can run the football and stick with the running game, I think you're going to have a lot of success because the Packers are one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL, along with the Kansas City Chiefs. Give me the Rams to win this game uh, because the Rams, you know, they got Akers, they got uh, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, a three-headed monster. I think those three guys are going to have monster days against the Green Bay Packers. And I think Jared Goff is just going to do just enough to win this football game like he did last week. And the defense, I think, is going to you know play outstanding football like they did last week against Russell Wilson. Give me the Rams in this game. I'm going to go with a 17 to 14 win by the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, yeah. slugfest right there, Isaiah. That is a nice slugfest number. Furman, what is your pick? I think Aaron Rodgers this year is the front runner for the MVP this season. Is that correct? I think so. So he's definitely I've definitely seen a lot of great things um, with him throughout his career. He's a, an amazing quarterback. I think he's probably one of the greatest of all time, comparable and even possibly better than Tom Brady. 
and this was his record season two. I think I've never seen him throw like 48 touchdowns before. This is amazing um, with what his offense has done so far this season. However, I am not buying into this Green Bay Packers Aaron Rodgers hype. I think just as usual, they're going to fall short. And Matt LaFleur's offense does not lead a team does not lead a team like the Packers to succeed um, that far into the playoffs, especially like in the postseason. They they're pretty good in the regular season, just like last year. But if you're going to be in the postseason, it's a whole different level. It's a whole different game plan. And I've seen the main issues with this uh, Green Bay Packers system offensively and defensively. Whenever Aaron Rodgers has to play against a good defense, he always struggles against them. And that's what happened last year with the 49ers. If you have a really complete team defensively that plays a, that Aaron Rodgers has to play against, especially with Matt LaFleur's offense right now, it does not fit his role well. And he basically has to really, you know, I think right now Aaron Rodgers, despite his crazy numbers, in reality, I think they're all just game managing numbers. A lot of the credit has to go with the entire system as a whole, not just Aaron Rodgers, but also Aaron Jones staring down Devontae Adams. I think Jalen Ramsey is probably going to match up with him. So if he doesn't have his usual targets, if the Rams are because the Rams have the best defense in the NFL right now, statistically. So if they're still going to play at this to this level right now, like they did against Seattle, if they disrupt the pass rush, if they find a way to just stuff Aaron Jones every play, and if Jalen Ramsey somehow uh, can contain Devontae Adams every play, you basically decipher the entire Green Bay Packers offense. And now the only thing left for, for the Rams to do is just run the same offense the 49ers did. All they did was just run the ball with Raheem Mostert every play, and every single drive was a touchdown. And it's as simple as that for the Rams game plan. I know the Rams this year, their, their offense is kind of iffy, but a lot of their offense has to do with having establishing strong run games. And if you're against the Green Bay Packers, that is their biggest kryptonite. So I think this is going to be a very simple game plan for the Rams. Just keep running the ball. You don't have to force Jared Goff to pass the ball that much because you know clearly the, the Green Bay Packers, they've struggled against the run. And Jared Goff, he's not the best passer this year, and he's also dealing with an injury. But if you've got the perfect a strong run game with Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown. This is going to be this is going to definitely in my opinion favor the Rams for almost the entire game. And it's going to be pretty I'm going to predict that this game's not going to be close at all until the fourth quarter when Aaron Rodgers has a couple of comeback drives. So, I have the Rams emerging in a huge lead, but they're still going to win this by one score of 27 to 20. Good picks, good picks. I'll read some comments. James Gonzalez's Ramsey on Adams will be fun to watch. I think you're 100% right with that. It's going to be definitely interesting to see what happens tomorrow. And Casey King is going to go with his Rams, ride or die all the way to the end in his beautiful comment right here. And then James Gonzalez to finish this seg this game is if the Rams to if the Rams win tomorrow, anything is possible. So we have to see what happens. But now on to our last pick'em, pigskin pick'ems of the night, gentlemen, is the Buccaneers Saints game. I see, I see you shaking your head. Are you gonna stun the fans tonight by, you know, picking something that you said one night, and now you're gonna change your mind? So lay it on us. Now I hope Callan is watching so he knows what you say. 
This game is a very, very hard game to pick because I think you guys know this. Every year, I pick a team to ride with, uh, you know, in the playoffs until they win the Super Bowl. Um, and this year, the team that I picked was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I really want, you know, that Buccaneers team with Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, uh, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans to go in and win the Super Bowl this year. But I think last on Wednesday, I said the Saints. And then... I've just been going back and forth between the Bucks and the Saints. One hour, it's the Bucks. The other hour, it's the Saints. And then the next hour, it's the Bucks. But after considering all the facts, I got to stick with my prediction. I don't trust that Tampa Bay defense. That Tampa Bay I know Callan is saying that he's he, he's watching, but don't worry, Callan. Uh, go back to the Buffalo Bills-Ravens game and watch that after you're done with this. But uh, I, I don't trust that Tampa Bay defense when the blitz doesn't get home to the opposing, the opposing quarterback. Their secondary looks lost. Their linebackers look lost. Last week, like I said earlier, you had like two or three Washington football team wide receivers open on every play. It was just very, very stunning. And I just think that Tampa Bay, they got if they can't if their defense can't get their act together, they are screwed. And I just don't I just don't have any confidence in the Carlton Davis, the Sean Murphy Buntings, the Levante Davids, and the Devin Whites of the world to get their act together give me drew Brees and this new orleans saints to end tom brady's dream of a seventh super bowl championship this season i'm gonna go with new orleans to win this football game uh and i think new orleans wins it pretty handily too i think new orleans wins this football game i'm gonna say 38 to 28 and callan says he's not gonna go watch the bills and ravens selection that you said the only game he cares about is this game we're talking about here. So when his comment comes rolling through, I'll definitely put it on the screen. But Furman, what do you think is going to happen? Who you got, the Bucks or the Saints in this one? I hope I don't shock anybody uh, with what I'm about to say. Uh, and I'm also doing this live, by the way. So I'm not – I haven't prepared for anything in these pigskin pickups. So um, – I basically explained my takes already, like for the Bucks and Saints in the previous segment when we talked about them. And it, I believe it was a topic on uh, Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, which one's the better X factor. Mm -hmm. Well, I've explained it already in that segment. Um, so here's my pick, guys. I got the Saints winning this one, fifty-six to thirteen. <laughs> Very, but fifty six to thirteen though. That's, that's, that I think it's gonna be the biggest blowout for Tom Brady, and I don't think he's gonna enjoy the end to the season. I think this is gonna because look, man, the the Saints. I told you they ran a Matt. What? They they ran a Matt Nagy offense the entire season, and now they just got Michael Thomas back. They got pretty much the biggest weapons, the biggest, the best play calls that you'll ever have for that offense. And how is Tampa Bay going to stop that? I don't think it's possible to stop that type of offense. Even Taysom Hill won, won as a starter with this offense. Like, 
he won a lot of games actually. So this is this is crazy. I I think Drew Brees wasn't even try. I don't even think Drew Brees was even trying this season. He did get hurt, and when he wasn't hurt, I trust me, I had him on my fantasy team. I don't think this guy put a hundred percent effort out there. But if he does with all these weapons back, it's gonna be a the biggest blowout you'll ever see in the NFL playoffs. Wow, fifty six to thirteen. That is just that is a bold take. I don't think anyone would say Tom Brady would ever get blown out in a playoff scenario, but who knows? You could actually be right. And then like you were able to take a fantasy football team that was projected to go two and 12, but you won the whole thing. So anything's literally possible from you now, but you know, I also like to mention one other thing in Mm -hmm. 2000, the giants beat the Vikings or something 41 to zero only to get blown out by the Ravens 34 to seven, I think. So anything can happen, guys. Do not count out these picks because anything is possible. Yep, and Furman, no, not Furman. James Gonzalez says, you know, your take is not that crazy. So, you know, anything is possible at this point. I think that's going to be the new motto for anything. Anything is possible on no BS at this point. And he, James Gonzalez says he doesn't trust the Bucks playing the Saints and Tampa Bay got slaughtered in both matchups badly. So that's why he probably says your take is not that bad. And then Casey King for us, he's think is going to be a tough game, better defenses. The Saints got a better defense. And with that, it's going to be a close game, 24 to 20, but we'll see what happens, but it won't, it's not going to be a, be a surprise if the Bucks win for him. So we have to keep it going, and Kirstie Wilson is going to go with the Saints. Just can't bet against Drew Brees because that breeze is rolling in. <laughs> and now, gentlemen, we get now ready for our Power 5 segment. Keeping us in the line of the realm of sports for tonight's Power 5, we're going to go with the top five stadium foods to get at a, at a football game or any type of sporting event. So when you're at a game, what type of food do you normally would like to order? Or you see that's order and you always go for it. So I'll go with Isaiah because Isaiah has some beautiful graphics images to share with our loyal fans tonight. Yes, I do, Trevor. So number, well, actually, before I get into my number, uh, my five, like top five, I'm going to actually give a quick um, honorable mention. Uh, The honorable mention on my list, if I can pull up that picture, is the garlic fries. Uh, The garlic fries at the Oakland Coliseum, they're amazing, man. Uh, It's so good. It's it's just, it's salted just right. with all with that gar with like real garlic too. It's not like you know fake garlic that they have at McDonald's, but it's real garlic, re- like salted pretty good. Those garlic fries at the Oakland Coliseum are fantastic. But number five on my list, Trevor, is the hot dog. You know, plain and simple, the hot dog. Every time you go to a ball game, you have to get either a hot dog or a hamburger, and I always like to go with the hot dog. Um, number four on my list will be the 
Cracker Jack. It's nice. It's sweet. It's a simple snack, you know, uh, and it's not even that expensive either. Um, I know when I go to work for the A's, uh, I think I get it for like three dollars. It's pretty cheap. So it's it's pretty good when you're not feeling like that hungry and you want like a big meal. It's just perfect. Uh, number three on my list will be the pepperoni pizza and the Oakland Coliseum. They have a restaurant there that makes the perfect pepperoni pizza. It's called Brick Oven Pizza where they make the pizza live in front of you right as you're ordering and they put it in the 460 degree brick oven and they bake it for you for like 15 minutes. It is hot, nice and fresh when you get it and it's delicious. It's only and it's only fifteen dollars, so it's not bad compared to like getting a, like, you know, getting other foods at a stadium. That price is actually pretty good. Uh, wait, 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 wait. So, you, so you said it takes fifteen minutes to put it in the oven and it serves to you, and it costs fifteen dollars. So it's a dollar a minute in the oven. <laughs> hey, I would, I would rather have that. That have like regular pizzas uh, that is not like made in front of me or baked, uh, like that is like freshly baked because you don't know how like how not how much but you don't know how like long they keep it in like a microwave or whatever. So hey, I don't idea, know. Hey, sorry, sorry to interrupt, man, but I think this pizza, whoever made this pizza, probably rolled it up like thirty seconds late. They did it last minute and gave you that meal for like $11, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> that picture was actually taken, I believe, when we went to one of uh, the A's games from a couple of years ago. But that is uh, number three, I believe, on my list. Um, let's see. Number two on my list. I got to go with the mac and cheese with hot dogs, you know. This costs only $7 at the Oakland Coliseum. Plus, it comes in a nice Oakland A's helmet, which you can use as a souvenir after you're done. It's it's uh, It helps you, you know, I mean, it's delicious. It helps you, you know, get, gain your energy. Really good. Plus, it comes into a nice helmet. Why is that number two, though? I mean... Trevor, it's mac and cheese. It's hot dogs. No, no, the mac and cheese is fine, but the hot dogs just don't look like they're finished. What do you mean? I mean, who doesn't like mac and cheese with hot dogs? But the hot dog doesn't look finished. You got to have a grilled hot dog. You can't have something that looks like you just microwaved it. I can't believe this is number two. (laughs) And it comes in an ace helmet, so it gives you a nice souvenir. Uh, And number one. This is my favorite food when I go to an A's game or any other or a Niners game or whatever. It is the loaded tater tots. The tater tots with, uh, I think it's sour cream plus cheese sauce, bacon. It's perfect, man. It is so perfect. I get that every time I go to a ball game. It is, you can't, you just can't go to a ball game without having that. That is just so good. All right, before I go into Furman's Power 5, I'll read Kirstie Wilson's Power 5. Her Power 5 is popcorn at number 5. Number 4, nachos. Number 3, hot dogs. Number 2, french fries. And her number 1 is salted pretzels with nacho cheese. And her husband and and her often, you know, think that is a... 
I've gotten that in the past. So that's what we're going with on that. And then honorable mention is a chili cheese fries. You know, that's pretty good. And James Gonzalez, I think, has probably one of the best comments tonight. He knew this was going to be food related. <laughs> you know, I was talking with Isaiah of other Power Fives, and he started listing food ones at me. So I was like, let me just settle with this for the man and just go with the food topic. But Furman, what is your Power Five for top five stadium foods? Uh, Trevor, are you done yet with your picks? Uh, yeah, my picks are done. All right, man. Um, if you need because... more time, I can rattle mine off. No, no, no. I, do, I have my picks already, but I'm just going to start off by saying I am not a huge fan of stadium food. I'm sorry, Isaiah, because a lot of the food that I've seen are way too overpriced. So I've never developed a habit in getting too much um, stadium food or concession food. However, I would say there are a lot of um, you know unique types of food that I, that I see a lot in these uh, stadiums that you know, really catch my attention, and I'm I'm just about to eat dinner right now, so I'm really hungry. But I'll start off with number five. Um, I'm gonna have to give this to a dessert because I'm not a biggest fan of dessert, but what whichever stadium has Dippin' Dots is my favorite stadium to uh to go to. My my favorite arena because these are one of the one of the best tasting um. You know, ice cream's out there, especially if you got some Oreos, and it's a really hot day, and you're watching a game. You gotta cool it down somehow. So, if somebody has Dippin' Dots nearby, that's the perfect, that is the perfect dessert to to get right after you watch the game, or even during the game, actually. Um, number four, I'm gonna have to give this with, give this to the salted pretzels. Um, I think nobody can get away from this. This is really, really good. I think every single concession should have this. It, it is also huge. So like, even if you don't finish it, you can at least share it with somebody else. So it's definitely going to have to be on top of my list somehow. And um, number three, I'm going to have to give this to hot dogs or corn dogs because these are really amazing. Um, anytime you're out on a hot day, whether it's a picnic, you're watching a game, going to Costco even. Um, you can't miss out on the hot dogs or the corn dogs. It's it's always going to have to be a priority. And for number two, I actually grouped this one into a big category because anything with garlic is really, really good. And I think some of you guys have already mentioned it. Um, garlic fries was one of them. And garlic fries, I cannot... I think garlic fries are like the signature stadium um stadium foods like out there because it's really good it's authentic a lot not a lot of places have it not even fast food restaurants have garlic fries as good as stadium fries so i can't get away with that um lobster rolls they usually you know sometimes they do they do it they're flavored with garlic so it's really good um you can't miss out on that garlic knots if you if i see any of those those are also great and before I get into number one, I'll get into some honorable mentions. Um, my first honorable mention is actually are the churros. Anytime I see churros in any concessions um, or if it's really cheap and I could just pick it up with the combo meal, 
I can't get away with churros. They're really good. I love that cinnamon taste as well as like the crunchy feeling after you eat it. It is amazing. Um, yeah, so it can't wait for, or I can't wait to, you know, after a pandemic to get back and, you know, watch a game and eat a churro. My second honorable mention, um, this is a really tough one. I could have put this at number one, but I'm going to have to uh, go classic with this. I'm going to give this to the baked potato. Any any stadium that has a baked potato, you're you're on for a good treat because I'm gonna buy I'm gonna eat a lot of those. Those are really good. Even if you have potato skins, you know if you if a, if any arenas or stadium makes those, I'll be down to get any of those, even if it's expensive. So now those are my those are my honorable mentions. And now for number one, my all time favorite food in my opinion to get at the stadium are chicken wings. So if you guys have chicken wings or if any stadium has chicken wings, I'm always down to get every single bit of those. And even if I share it with like a party, it's, it's, it's great to have because, you know, it's your typical signature food to eat, like I said, um, to watch games or, or picnics or anything. I just love to, you know, dip all of that, you know, dip all those wings in some cool ranch and then have some celery or carrots on the side is just amazing man i can't miss out on that and you know i just need i need those b-dub vibes the buffalo wild wings vibes every time i'm out there watching games so this has to be number one on my list good picks Furman. some good picks before i get into mine i'll read some of our viewers picks as well with casey king so his number one is the grilled dodger dog at dodger stadium is his number two pick is garlic fries both at Dodger Stadium and the Oakland Coliseum? Number three is Italian sausage at Miller's Park in Milwaukee. Number four is soft pretzels with nacho cheese. Number five, it's a tie between the Philly cheesesteak and Philly. Boom. Beautiful. I love it. And James Gonzalez, I know when you were talking about Dippin' Dots, he says his favorite dessert at baseball games or any type of game he goes to is Dippin' Dots. And he agrees with you. Way overpriced. I agree with you on that. Everything is overpriced at the stadium. Like bottled water, way too expensive. James Gonzalez, again, with his chicken tenders and fries are his go-to favorite if he's hungry at an, an Angels game. And then at Petco Park for, the, for San Diego, has the garlic fries, and you can smell them as soon as you know, right away at the Padres game. Then we have Callan in there. At Petco Park with a nice great emoji and a beer. And he, I would have to say is the cart. I have no idea how to pronounce that. I feel so bad. <laughs> so, thank you, Isaiah. But Isaiah doesn't know what that what those are. I kind of have to agree. I don't know what they are. Maybe when Calvin returns, he can bring them on set and show them to us to continue the food streak on no BS. And for my Power 5 segment, gentlemen, I will start off with number five. It's the great American hot dog. You can't go to a baseball game and not have a hot dog at any sporting event. And what makes a hot dog special, why it is capped at number five, is dollar dog night. When hot dogs are only a dollar, you can just go off. You give the cashier a $5 bill and you get five hot dogs for $5. That is a steal in ballpark history right there. That's like stealing bases at the 
crucial part in the game, or it's like a grand slam. That's what Dollar Dog Night is to me. Number four, we going with some more beef. We got the burgers in the place. The burgers are nice and stacked. It's beautiful. You get your cheese, your lettuce, your onions, and put it on a nice burger and get a nice side of fries. Beautiful. That's why I have burgers in the fourth spot. The top three were hard to figure out, but before I get to the top three, I'll throw one honorable mention in that. Well, two honorable mentions. You have Italian ice. You got that nice on a hot day. So like Rita's Italian ice is always a nice thing to have at a nice ball game. And the other one is cotton candy. Cotton candy is always a good one to get at a definitely at a basketball game because I remember that as a childhood. But continue with that basketball game theme is the popcorn. You get a nice big box of popcorn and you just eat it. Watching slam dunks happen, watching a deep three at these basketball games. And that's why I put popcorn as my number three. My number two, I will have to go with the nachos. You can't go wrong with nachos. Everyone gets nachos at a game. You see it everywhere you go. You see people ordering nachos. So you can't have nachos not on your list. So you have to add them. Trevor. Yes. Before you continue, um, I just wanted to say nachos, yes, with the chips and the cheese sauce. But no, not the jalapenos. I cannot. Yeah, I know you can't handle hotness. Uh, yes, I can't <laughs> handle spicy foods uh but you I get some hot takes it doesn't make sense it doesn't head up that's how weak you know my my uh my stamina is when it comes to handling spicy foods but go ahead trevor and my number one is the chicken tenders you got you can't leave the chicken tenders off this list because chicken tenders are amazing you can get them at any sporting venue and they're just a classic you get three chicken strips three golden chicken strips with a basket of fries, and you can put any type of sauce you want on the chicken tenders. It's perfect. And I named my fantasy team the True Contenders and spelled it as chicken tenders, like the contender word. That's why I have chicken tenders at the top of my list there. And that's why me and Callum's rivalry trophy will either try to be a chicken tender or a chicken. We'll have to stay in tune just and see what we come up with. But we'll have Callum's pick before we move into our final segments so callan's pick is the ice cream helmet his number four pick is hot dogs his number three pick is pizza his number two pick is pretzels with cheese and his number one pick is a try dip nachos and you know james gonzalez's chicken tenders for the win yes and then callan replies with yes plenty of jalapenos on his nachos and that will take us, gentlemen, to our final thought. All right, Isaiah, we have reached almost, we passed 90 minutes on the show, but let's go on to our final thoughts. So how are you feeling? How'd you like the show? And give us our final thoughts. Well, Trevor, before I get into my final thoughts, I also want to throw out one more honorable mention that I forgot to throw in when I was giving my power five, and that is the Polish hot dog. You know, it is like cook it right in front of you. They add the green peppers and the onion. It's just really good. Uh, definitely recommend you guys all to go try it. Um, but Trevor, it's it's been a tremendous show. You know, I want to thank all the viewers out there for tuning in and watching our show tonight. I want to thank James Gonzalez, uh, Callum McClurg, uh, for taking the time to tune in after a busy day that he had. 
um, as well as Shardo Gupta, uh, Christy Wilson, Casey King. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Uh, don't want to leave anybody out. Um, I think that might be it. Oh, Charlie Montooth, as well as Stephen Wang. And also we had uh, the... I think we had East Coast Gridiron. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had the East Coast podcast. Uh, really appreciate you guys for checking us out. Um, but Trevor, it was a great show, man. Uh, glad that we got to get through all the topics and make our picks, and then list out the Power Five. Uh, that's the always that's always the fun part of no BS. But man, uh, it, it wasn't the same without Callen. It kind of felt different, but hey, season three is off to a strong start, and let's continue this, man. And go Buccaneers on Sunday. Go Buccaneers. Go Tom Brady. I know I picked the Saints, but I'm going to be rooting hard for Tom Brady and the Bucs because I want to see the Bucs face Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and end that Kansas City dynasty. All right, and Berman, final thoughts. It was a great show with all of you guys. I really enjoyed it. I just want to thank everybody out there that's listening. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun talking about all those pigskin takes, especially, and then also the power five with all the top stadium foods. Um, definitely got me really hungry. And also I'm really excited to see how the games will turn out next uh, tomorrow as, and also Sunday for football. Um, everybody had their own interesting takes on who they think is going to win. And I think this playoff is going to be really interesting. I know Isaiah just said that, I believe he just said that he wants Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs to go all the way. And I do believe in that. Um, it's definitely possible. But you also have some teams, like I believe, you know, Saints and Bucks is a really good matchup. Rams and Packers as well. Those are really, I think all of these games, Ravens and Bills, they're going to be really close and could go both ways. Actually, not the Saints and Bucks, but every other game could go both ways. But yeah. Um, it's a very interesting season. I can't wait to sit back and relax and just enjoy those games. And I hope you guys will as well. And just keep our picks in mind. And let's see who gets the best outcome out of all of us. All right. And Casey King and his final thoughts was it's a great show. And for me, you know, it's been a fantastic show, though we miss Callan. And as you can see, I changed my name to Days Without Callan. It's only been one day. I thought I could, you know, cross the show over into midnight so I could change it on air to say day two because it's on the East Coast because it would be the next day. But, you know, maybe on another episode, I, you can change it. I can change it during mid-episode on you that for sure. Wait, you want to do 40 more minutes? No, <laughs> I don't want to do 40 more minutes. I got a trip to go back to Ohio to, you know, work on my spring semester and my last semester at Ohio State. So I need all the rest for my nice long drive out to Ohio. But I know we have some announcements before we sign off. The first announcement is that Freddie Henderson will be joining Wild Sports Talk starting Wednesday, January 20th. So make sure you tune in the Wild Sports Talk on January 20th to see Freddie Henderson and the Wild Sports Talk crew. And then, you know, our typical, you know, platform on Mondays, Wild Sports Talk is at 730 Pacific time. Tuesdays, this uh, I guess no longer the Sports Lounge. I think we have a gap in there. I think we need to make some quick adjustments to our schedule. Wednesdays, we are back at it with Wild Sports Talk. Thursdays, 
is the the one man show or that one dude. So I think our program needs to do some updates. So we'll make a new imagery slide. Fridays, you're back at it with us. No BS. 6.30 Pacific time. And then you have Saturdays with fan response and the night shift. And then Sundays to cl close us out for the week with the night shift. And I think that will do it for us. Well, Isaiah's gave me a quick update about fan response. It'll be at 12 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. Is that correct, Isaiah? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Steven and Ryan will join you guys um, on the air. And on fan response, starting tomorrow, you guys will actually be able to call Len to the show and give your guys' opinions and takes on whatever they are talking about. Uh, we are going to have the link for StreamYard on uh, listed in the comment section of the of the video so make sure you guys go check that out wake up early go check that out and call in and you know give steven and ryan a call and uh talk to them about whatever they're talking about tomorrow all right and that will do it for us here on no bs on the concluding the first episode of season three please stay safe everyone as the year goes on and stay healthy I know it's a tough time that we're in, but, you know, we'll get through it and no BS will be alongside you to get you through whatever 2021 throws at you this year. And that will do it for us at no BS. Take care and stay safe. Yeah. Three C's, my feet. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. Three C's, my feet. Yeah. Hey. Whoa. It's going down. Whoa. Whoa. Y'all know what time it is.